let's use this for the consideration for this um, Sunday. And the perspective of God's will is uh, what this is about. And it's from an author that is unknown. And notice he writes this. When place I choose or place I shun, my heart is satisfied with none. But when thy will direct my way, tis equal joy to go or stay. And isn't that true? Just wonderful. Just a wonderful statement about the will of God and God's will and how it affects you. When you are wanting to do something, it's a totally different perspective, isn't it? And when you're in the will of God, man, there's no better place to be. I continue to talk, and I would say, someone, I was talking to someone this week, and they were talking about uh, the percentage of the will of God and living in the will of God. And what you try to encourage people is that there is no better place to be than in the will of God, right? There's no better place to be because your decisions are going to be right. You're not going to have to go back and say, oh, I wish I hadn't made that decision. Your decisions are going to be right. You're going to be just right doing what God wants you to do. If the rapture occurred now, you're not going to say, oh, no, God, wait, wait a minute, I'm not ready. Right? (laughs) When you're in the center of the will of God, you don't have to change anything. And And the beauty of it is God, when you're in his will, he provides for you to do his will. And, and I, I really think that what is happening with a lot of believers is that a lot of believers are not, um, they're struggling because they refuse to do God's will. They want to do their will. And God steps out of the way and says, okay, have at it. And then as you look at their life, it's just strewn with all kinds of craziness and trouble and problems. And it's because... You know, people look, they want to do what they want to do. And what can you say? All right, here we go with our message for today. And we're coming down to the end of this uh, series on um, agape love. And so we started with the commandment that uh, to love one another, love one another. And this is a big thing. And it's, I think it's one of the most important uh, edicts that have been given to the church. Because it's what makes the church function in the way that God wants it to function. So you take away agape love and you got problems. And we've, we've talked about it. I'm sure many of you have seen and been in churches where there's just been problem, problem, problem. Uh, as I told you, and uh, I've seen things in churches that I cannot see. I cannot see it. Now, I was at a, um, a convention one time of Pastors, pastors. So there was a um, there was a um, disagreement, shall I say, uh, among these pastors. So they were disagreeing in the auditorium. This disagreement spilled into the dining area, and one pastor passed by the other one and said to the other, "Well, I won't tell you what he said to the other." <laughs> That's how graphic it was. And I am sitting there as a young lad with my mouth like, you can't believe that this could even be said. That this could even be said. But this happens in situations 
where agape love is just a forego- it's just an afterthought. That people are living and acting out of their fallen nature. And it can happen in the church. And this is not what God wants. It's not what God wants. He wants believers to love one another. And, you know, in the Corinthian passage, Paul was talking to the Corinthians in chapter 6, and they were taking each other to court. And what did Paul say? And this before the unbeliever. And what did he say? Wouldn't you have rather been wronged? Isn't it okay if I would just rather take the loss? All right, you got me on that one. But no, in churches, that's not how it is many, many times. And the, the, the importance of, of, of loving believers, remember, if you go back to that John 13 passage, what did he say? By this thing, all men will know you're my disciples. How? By your stand on abortion? By your stand on civil rights? By your stand on the issues of the, 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 day, the day? Do you know this is how people justify themselves today? It's what do I stand by? That doesn't matter. That's not the, the standard, the, the line of demarcation. It's your love one for another. That's the line of demarcation. That's the line of demarcation. And, you know, you can see believers today and a lot of believers, they identify themselves by their political perspective. They identify themselves by what they are against. Well, I'm against this. I'm against. And there's nothing wrong with these things. Right. Nothing wrong with being against abortion. But I remember meeting a guy once and he was talking about everything that he was against. And it's what struck me was to ask him, do you really know what you're for? What are you actually for? From a believer's perspective, we ought to be for loving each other. And there's going to be no substitute for it. There's no substitute for it. It really isn't. And so we were looking last time that we met in Galatians chapter 5. And what we were trying to show you is how do we love each other? How do we get to the point that we can love each other? I know if we say, hey, you ought to love each other, how? How do we do it? How do we get to the point? Well, we saw in Galatians 5 that Paul introduced something here, and he says that if you walk by means of the Spirit, you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Well, remember, I told you that most of those things that you see going on in churches is just sin nature driven, a lot of them. I mean, it's, you, you see people... I've seen people in churches that can be nasty, just downright nasty, right? And so if I'm operating out of my sin nature, I mean, if you say something to me, darling, I might not like that, <laughs> you know, and I may have some choice words for you, right? Well, that's, that's all, that ought not to be, right? It ought not to be that way. And so he says, Walk by the spirit, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now, notice he's going to tell you what the sin nature looks like. And this is a real list of nasties here. Notice in verse 18. But if you be led by the spirit, you're not under law. Now, the works of the flesh are manifest. And so I would divide these into social works of the flesh. 
sexual works of the flesh, and religious works of the flesh. Now, you know why a lot of people can make it in churches and go undetected and probably they're unsaved? Is they engage in religious works of the flesh. They know how to fit in. They know how to be religious. But do you know one thing that people can't fake? They can't fake love. They can't fake love. No matter what you do, you cannot fake agape love. You know why? Because the Holy Spirit is the one that produces it in you. And it's going to require you being spiritual. And it can't be faked. And so notice you have these uh, sexual works of the flesh that are manifest. And, and um, you know, sometimes I say to the shame of churches, we've seen these happen in churches. Adultery, fornication, <clears throat> uncleanliness, lasciviousness. Now, you, I mean, you see this lasciviousness. This is an interesting thing because you see it all over our society today. And this is outward sexual display. You know, people walking and their their um, their undergarments are showing. Right. You've seen that. Right. I mean, this has just become uh, standard fare for the society. And they wouldn't call it lasciviousness. They call it the style. Right. Um, and so you have that. And idolatry. Now you have these religious works of the flesh in verse 20. Idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance. Emulations, wrath, strife, oh, excuse me, um, uh, the religious would be idolatry, witchcraft, uh, hatred, variance. Um, and then you have the, uh, the, the social, uh, or we'd be, we'd be involved in that too, the religious works. Wrath, strife, seditions, and heresies. And then in verse 21, you have the social. Um, envyings, murders, drunkings, revelings, and such like of which I've told you before, and notice what he says, and I have told you in times past that they which, notice the word do, it's the word praxis. The ones practicing such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, again, I, as I think and I learn what scripture says and I think back to churches I've been in, I'm like, huh. And that's all I can say. Huh. <laughs> when I think of some of the behaviors that I've seen. And some of the ways that people have acted toward each other. You say, yikes. I don't know if these people are saved, but God knows. But I've seen things happen in churches that ought not to happen in churches. Not if there's agape love here. Now, why does he go through this? Because he's telling you that if I am carnal, what my natural inclinations are is not going to be to love you. It's not going to be to direct agape love. Your natural inclinations are going not going not are not going to lead you to love the brethren. And so when I'm carnal, forget it. It's not going to ever happen. And notice he goes on to say, but the fruit of the Spirit, verse 22, is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. So you have nine different parts of one fruit. And when you see one, it's evident 
that there's the Holy Spirit at work in your life. So this is the standard of measurement by whether or not I'm in the right relationship with the Holy Spirit. It's not what my stands are on the social issues of the day. Again, there's nothing wrong with those. But those stances on the social issues of the day says nothing about where I am and my relationship with the Holy Spirit. They say nothing. This does. This really tells you where I am. Am I spiritual? One of the indicators is the word that we've been talking about. Agape love. Just before we continue, I I do want to remind you again, if you turn over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, again, you see, this is why you should tell people if they are new believers or if they are believers and they want to start reading, read this because it, it shows you what real believers look like. This is what real believers look like. And so notice in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, I mean, you see spiritual, these people are spirit fulfilled by the spirit. You just see it all over the book. And so notice he says, verse 2 of chapter 1, we give thanks to God always for you, making mention of you in our prayers or in our worship, remembering without ceasing your work from faith. And notice what else happens. Your labor, and where does that come from? Agape love. Right? So there is a, that word for labor there, as I like the way that uh, Tim defined that, Tim Hosher, it's tireless working on behalf of the saints. You ever done something for somebody and you could just keep on doing it? Not to mean that it doesn't affect you, but you just love doing it for them so to the point that you could just continue to do it. It doesn't even bother you to do it. And it's not one of these things where you ask somebody to do something and you say, hey, Kevin, can you do this for me? And I say, (sighs) (laughs) (laughs) right? You know, you're just like, (sighs) I mean, that ain't, you know, that's not an evidence of agape love. And so notice, and your patience from hope and our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God, our Father, knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God, for our gospel came to you not in word only, but in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, as you know what manner of men we were among you. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction. And notice, here's the third, part, the third fruit of the Spirit. And know you, you can know that these people are filled by the Spirit with joy of the Holy Spirit, right? These are indicators of what a believer actually looks like. You want to know what a believer actually looks like? This is what a believer actually looks like. And it's been redefined. And so I was talking to a friend of mine this week uh, out in Oregon. I can say that none of them on the east of the Mississippi. And we're talking about churches and the idea that the churches have been redefined. What a Christian looks like has been redefined in your Pentecostal churches. It's a matter of doing a dance or speaking in tongues, right? How many churches do you see 
who show you that this is what Scripture says a believer actually looks like. There is a manifestation of the fruit from the Spirit. God's life. Seeing out an activity. That's godliness. Do you know godliness is not whether or not you wear makeup or don't wear makeup? Or what kind of clothes you wear or don't wear? Godliness is God's life can be seen out in a human body in activity. And here you see it in a manifestation of the fruit from the spirit. And so one of those manifestations is love. Love. How do we, uh, how are we able to manifest love? You have to be spiritual. You have to be spiritual. And if you're not spiritual, you're not going to manifest agape love. Notice down, and we went down in verse 24. Let's pick it up there. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with its affections and lust. Now, we'll come back to this. This is an interesting thing because we gained some insight here about the sin nature that we didn't know uh, before Paul wrote this. That the sin nature has two elements to it. It has lust, which are cravings, but then it has this other element to it that's really interesting. That word for um, affections is actually is a really not a good translation, but how about this? You're familiar with this word. Passions. Passions. That the sin nature has two components to it that can really drive the believer and the unbeliever alike in a certain direction. And you have those two elements, lust, and then you have passions. And we'll come back to that. We wanted to get to this verse, verse 25, because he says something here that is really interesting. And here you have, uh, it's a first-class condition, so I would translate this if, since. Since we live in the Spirit... Let us also walk by the Spirit. Now, this is really interesting that he says this. This word for uh, uh, live is actually it's the word zao. And so we're on, our, we're on our outline there on page two. Uh, zao is the state of uh, existing in life. It's the state of existing in life. And so you and I have a position in all three members of the Godhead and the Son the Father, and in the Holy Spirit, and they're for different reasons. Now, how, how does this work out that you're conducting a life? Let me give you an example, and one of the better examples I think that I could give you that helps you to, hopefully, can help you to visualize this. Now, when I went to work for FedEx on many years, I would put on the FedEx uniform, and oftentimes I would go to different places where they didn't know who I was. But do you know what they would respond on? Hey, FedEx guy. My identity was caught up in FedEx. There's a lot of people on my route that didn't know who I was. Little kids, when the movie Castaway uh, came out and they saw Wilson, they used to run behind the FedEx truck saying, hey, FedEx guy, is Wilson in there? <laughs> I mean, their identity, my identity, they didn't know my name. They didn't know who I was. But they saw me 
as a guy who was identified with a company called FedEx. And in that company, there were benefits and privileges. Do you know, in our relationship with the three members of the Godhead, there is identity and there is benefits. And as we live in light of this identity, that those things can actually be seen out in our life. And so notice what he says here, this live, is that, that state of existing in life, you're conducting a life in a situation. And so notice, um, look at Galatians 3, uh, and as an example, since we're right there in the book of Galatians, it's used over here in Galatians 3 and verse 11, and it's used of uh, how the, the believer conducts a life by faith. But that no man is justified in, uh, by law in the sight of God is evident. For the just shall conduct or live a life. How? By faith. By faith. And it's interesting to me, the people who are interested in law and they want to teach law teaching, because the next verse says this, and the law is not out from faith. But the man that does these things shall live by them. So as you're living your life, it's a, this, uh, this state of existing in life and how you're living. How do you live? Are you living in your position in the Holy Spirit? Why is that important? Because if you're living in your position in the Holy Spirit, you will be able to exist in this life being directed by the Holy Spirit. And that's the thing that he's trying to get at. So this word if is actually, I would say, it's a first class condition. And, and going back to the fifth chapter there in verse 25. So he says, um, I would translate it this way. Since we are living by the Spirit, are existing in life by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. And this is interesting because he, this is where you, you, um, it's hard to understand certain things because if the, 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 uh, the Greek word, sometimes they, they'll change up on you. And he does here. And so in verse 16, that word for walk in 16 is not this word. It's a totally different word. And so this word for here, it is uh, conducting a life. He says, if we live by the spirit. Now here he says, not let us walk, but it's the word storkeo. And what does it mean? It means to keep in step with the spirit. In other words, the spirit is trying to direct you in such a way. And you're going to be keeping in step with how the spirit is directed. You see. And so let me give you an example of this word. Um, one of the uh, places that you see it is over in Acts 21 and uh, verse 24. And it has this idea of keeping in step with some kind of standard. Acts 21, 24. So they're, they're criticizing Paul. Uh, that he wasn't keeping in step with the law. 
And so notice down in verse 20, uh, we'll pick it up in verse 20. And when they heard it, they glorified the Lord and said unto him, Thou seest, brethren, how many thousands of Jews there are which believe, and they're all zealous of the law. And they are informed of thee that thou teachest all the Jews which are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying that they ought not to circumcise their children, neither to walk after the customs of Moses. What is it, therefore? The multitudes must need come together, and for they will hear that thou art come. Do thou therefore this that we say to thee, that we have four men which have a vow on them. Take and purify thyself with them, and be at charges with them, that they, and, and that they may shave their heads, and all may know that those things that they were informed concerning thee are nothing but that thou thyself walketh. That you're keeping in step with what? <clears throat> the law. That you walk it orderly and keepeth the law. And so the idea of keeping in step with. The Holy Spirit is trying to guide you and direct you. Sometimes we're, we're unwilling participants. We don't want to do it. And so this idea of keeping in step with. Uh, with the Spirit is a, a really important thing. And, and what we're going to see, now if we go back in, in verse 24, what he's going to show you is that this, uh, this is important. Um, and, and in terms of in Romans, uh, Galatians 5.24, that this is important, uh, this relationship to the Holy Spirit in order for the believer to be able to access love. Because the Holy Spirit is not only going to uh, cause us to be able to not um, order ourselves in our sin nature, he's also going to produce the fruit from the Spirit in our life, of which love is one of them. And so notice in Galatians chapter 5 and 24, and so we, uh, we're here, and I told you we'd come back here, notice in verse 24, and they that are Christ um, have crucified the flesh with its affections and lust. And so this word uh, crucified, now he's going to tie in here this imputation of the believer. And so the fact that we've been crucified together with Christ, we have the ability to put the sin nature to bed. There's no reason why we should be involved in the sin nature. Um, I, I, I give you an example of this, this idea, and you will see it in this crucifixion. Um, I told you about my two roosters that were fighting each other. So I put one on the other side and I took the door and I sh shut it. So that there's no access now. They can't fight each other anymore. And the other one would get killed if they did. That door could be opened again. But the access has been shut off. Our sin natures have been crucified, we've been, excuse me, we've been crucified together with Christ, and the result of that is that our sin nature has no power over us. We, uh, I, engage in the sin nature because I want to. I don't have to. 
And so notice it is two things he gives as characteristics of the sin nature. Um, so this idea, well, let's look with this crucifixion first, this idea of being crucified together. And so the, it's the believer's identification with the work of Christ is accomplished through this crucifixion. Notice what Paul says in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. I am crucified together with Christ. Well, were you there on the cross? By God's reckoning, you were. God counts you to have been there when Christ died. And so the work that Christ accomplished has been accorded to me. And so Paul says, I've been crucified together with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And so I have been seen by the Father as being crucified together with Christ. Now, where did this, you see this uh, again? Look over in Romans, the sixth chapter. And so notice in Romans chapter 6, and notice in verse 1, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in the sin nature that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to the sin nature live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? So when you believe the facts of the gospel... The Holy Spirit took you out of this position in Adam and he put you into this position in Christ. So your identity has changed. And that affects, or supposed to affect, your sin nature. And so notice what he goes on to say. Therefore, we are, um, no, you're not, we were baptized into Jesus Christ, we're baptized into his death. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into the death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in a newness of life. For if we've been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing that our old man, now that old man is our position in Adam, it has been crucified. Why? That the body of sin might be rendered inoperable. Just like that gate or that door on that chicken coop closed and they can't go back and forth, that sin nature has been shut down. Now you can open that door again, and we do. But you know what happens here? When you open that door and you're living in your sin nature, your capacity to bear forth the fruit of the Spirit dissipates. And so does what we're looking for, agape love. How often, and you can ask yourself this question, do you encounter people in the church who are operating totally out of their sin nature, just totally operating out of their sin nature. And as one who is operating out of their sin nature, when there's opportunities to react and someone does something to them, they're going to react from that nature. 
And we're not always wise about that, right? And so notice in, in Galatians 5, uh, back in Galatians 5, verse 24, and he says, And they that are Christ have crucified the, uh, the sin nature or the flesh with its passions and lust." Now, this word for passions is the word, we have our word, it's a uh, pathema. It's the idea of a suffering. Now, I, I believe what is happening here is that the sin nature has cravings. That as the believer or the unsaved person continues to give in to those cravings, now you move to an extreme where this, whatever it is you're giving into, is no longer a craving, it has become a passion that you suffer not to have it. Now, I really believe, as I've studied, I, and I've looked at this word over the years, I think that this is what your addictions are made of. I really believe that. That people have indulged in certain areas of their sin nature to the degree that it, it hurts them. They suffer not to be able to participate in this. You see some of these people who are crack addicts and, and cocaine addicts and you know, uh, cigarette addicts and all of these addictions that you can name. And they, it hurts them not to have it. I've seen people who uh, like to smoke cigarettes and they can't get a cigarette and you almost think that they're, they're getting ready to die. Right? They, it has moved now from a craving to something that they suffer not to have it. And the sin nature has this component to it. And so, notice he says, his identification with Christ, though, makes access to the fruit possible. So those who have, are, are of Christ are the Christ. I, I really believe here, I think he's talking about the body, where Christ is ahead have crucified the sin nature with its passions and lust. There's no reason that you and I as believers should, that we should be living and conducting our life in the sin nature. There's no reason for it. We have a totally different provision that has been given us, which is God's quality of life. There's no reason. We only engage in our sin nature because we want to. And, and what we say, I, I, don't, I don't want that, I want this. And I wonder sometimes why. Is it because this is more attractive to the world? Or is it just because it just makes me feel good? There are certain things in the sin nature. I really like that. Well, I know nobody here would say that. None of you great righteous people here in this wonderful church would ever say that you have certain parts of the sin nature that you like. But some people do. Around and different places, and so uh, so we have we've overcome that. So how can we direct agape love by reckoning that that is dead? I'm dead to it. I'm dead to it. And so um, notice uh, this idea of walking by the Spirit and how important it is. As we live in the spirit and that, and that, and here he goes back in Romans to walking by the spirit. And I just want to go through this. Look at, if you would, in Romans chapter 8. So 
So he starts off and he says in, in chapter one, and, and, and we'll go back. Um, and, and maybe we could do it now that walking by the spirit enables the believer to be able to have victory over the sin nature. So how do I have victory over the sin nature? When it's uh, when it's tempting me, there's lust that are coming. How do I have victory over the sin nature? Do I say, OK, I'm to go away, go away. I'm, I'm not going to do that. Uh, no, Paul kind of he was going through this and he was trying to figure this out and notice he did. He came upon it. And let's start with Romans 7 and verse 8, and then we'll back, we'll back up. So notice Romans chapter 7, and notice in verse 8. <clears throat> now, a lot of, again, a lot of people think that Paul was an unsaved man here. And the reason they think that he was an unsaved man is they don't think that somebody who's a believer could have this kind of experience. Because notice what he says here. Paul says some really astonishing things here. And uh, notice, uh, uh, we'll pick it up at verse 8, and we'll... We'll start from there. Uh, start with seven, actually. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I would not have known sin, but by the law. For I had not known lust, except for the law says, thou shalt not covet. Isn't it interesting? If you tell somebody not to do something, they may not have even been thinking about doing it before. Someone sent me a cartoon um, about a picture of, of this and it had a cartoon on the one side there was a sign saying don't throw knives and then the guy on the other side was saying it's just really funny I've got this sudden urge to want to throw knives <laughs> and that's what the sin nature does right you might not have ever been thinking about something but the moment that it's revealed that that's not good and you shouldn't do that your sin nature kicks in but it's in nature to take an occasion by the commandment wrought in me all manner, that word concupiscence is all manner of lust. Now notice he's going to say something astonishing here at this last part of this verse in verse 8. For without law or apart from law, apart from any law, the sin nature is dead. And this is the key to it, right? We come up with our own rules of law of how we justify ourselves to other people or to God. And the moment we do that, the sin nature revs up. So he says, really, apart from any kind of law, right? Apart from the Mosaic law or any law that you make up. If you're not living by law, the sin nature has no power. And you have people who say, well, that's all I live by is law. And you're thinking to yourself, oh, my goodness. I know what's going on in your life. <laughs> and it ain't good. It can't be. You know what happens with people with law? They give an outward appearance that they're perfect. But behind the scenes, it's nasty. You just go and ask their family members or ask them to tell you all the thoughts that they thought about the last week, right? If you can get somebody to do that, which I have not done that and have anybody that wants to do that yet. Verse 9, for I was alive once apart from law, but when the commandment came, the sin nature revived and I died. And the commandment which was ordained to life, I found to be to death. 
For the sin nature taking occasion by the commandment deceived me and it slew me. Wherefore the law is holy and the commandment is holy and just and good. Was that which was good made death unto me? God forbid. But the sin nature that it might appear as sin working death in me by that which is good that the sin nature by the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. For we know that the law is spiritual. Now, no, when he says it's spiritual, he doesn't say here that the law is governed by the Holy Spirit. What he's saying is the law appeals to your reason. Any law appeals to your reason is what he's saying here. But I am carnal, sold under the sin nature. For what that which I do, I allow not. For what I desire, that I do not. But what I hate, that I keep on doing. Really, guys, I keep practicing what I hate. Somebody said there's no such thing as a carnal Christian. Okay, let's call it the I keep on practicing what I hate Christian. (laughs) You want to call it that? Right? And so notice he says, it's at verse 16. I then, if then I do that which I desire not, I consent unto the law that it is good. But then it is no more I that do it, but it is the sin nature that dwells in me. For I know that it is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. See, I don't know that we're convinced of that. I think that we don't think that our sin nature is not that bad of a thing. We just operate out of who we are, and we don't really think about the fact that who we are, really our sin nature is controlling that. And we just don't think that that's that bad of a thing. And so he says, for to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I don't, I find not. For the good that I desire, I do not. But the evil which I desire not, that I do. And I think again there, he uses the word uh, praxis. Now, how, why is that important? Because praxis looks at the fact of not just doing an act here. He keeps on doing it. You know what that's called? Carnality. Carnality. And he's trying to find out, how do I do it? I try to use the law to try to make myself stop this. But the more I use the law, it just inflames it. I just keep on doing it. And so notice he says, now, if verse 20, if I do that which I desire not, it is no more I that do it, but it is the sin nature that dwells in me. I find in the law that when I desire to do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members, warring against the war, uh, the law of um, the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity into the law of the sin nature, which is in my members. And I don't know if anybody here has ever felt this way, but notice what Paul did. As he saw himself in this war with the law and the sin nature, what does he say? Oh, the wretched, afflicted, miserable person that I am. You know, a lot of people are going around today and they think that they have some kind of psychological problem. And I want to tell them, oh, yeah, you do. You know what your psychological problem is? Let's just make it simple. Let's call it the sin nature. That's what your problem is. Oh, I'm not what I, I'm, I'm, I'm supposed to be. I'm not what I ought to be. Well, none of us are. 
that sin nature, when, it, when you look at how that sin nature is affecting you, particularly when you're carnal, you just think that you're the most miserable, afflicted person that there is. And it's true. And that's what Paul came to the conclusion of. Who shall rescue me from the body of this death? Well, what is it? Back in the Roman days, and they should do this today. And if they did this today, maybe the murder rate would go down. But they would tie a guy's body. If you kill somebody, they would tie the body onto you. And you would have to bear the burden of that body as it putrefied, it would kill you. Wouldn't that be great to do today? <laughs> I mean, it would get rid of the murder rate. I think the murder rate would go down. And that's what Paul is picturing here, that he's carrying around this putrid body that's decaying. Who shall rescue me from it? And what does he say? Really, it's grace through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Grace does. And then he goes into chapter 8 and he says, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Really, it's period. You have a problem there with the translation in which they bring some things up from that's not during the original. And then he goes on to say in verse uh, 2, for a law concerning the, or the law concerning the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of the sin nature and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but really, according, not according to a standard of measurement of the flesh, but according to a standard of measurement of the spirit, that the, the Holy Spirit is able to produce this life in the believer. And what, what's a part of this life? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering. And how do I appropriate that? As I understand that... Uh, that I have been crucified together with Christ, my sin nature has been rendered inoperable, all I have to do now is allow the Spirit to do the work and He's going to fill up what's lacking in my life in each one of these areas. And so uh, he says, uh, let's drop down, if we will, to um, Romans eight fourteen. Believers walking by the Spirit can also be led by the Spirit. In Romans 8, 14, for as many as are led by the Spirit, are, are uh, being led by the Spirit, they are the sons of God. And it's interesting that as you, are feel, as you allow the Holy Spirit to be in charge and the Holy Spirit is directing your life and you're keeping in step with the Spirit, one of the things that the Holy Spirit does is he will lead the believer in what direction to go in. Now, this, Paul says, is, a, is a symbolic of who the true sons of God are. Now, there's a lot of people, uh, the revelation of who the real sons of, God's are, uh, sons of God are it has not been made yet. And we don't always know who those people are. But here you can know for a fact that you are a true son of God because you're being led by the Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is leading you. 
And so notice the other thing uh, that the Spirit can share in the infirmities of the believer in Romans 8, 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our infirmities, or really it's in our weaknesses. For we know not what we ought to pray as, we, as is necessary. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings that, is, that cannot be uttered. And he that searches the heart uh, knoweth the mind of uh, what is in the mind of the Spirit because he makes his intercession for the saints uh, according to God, and that will, of, will is not there. But notice the Holy Spirit as I'm in a right relationship and keeping step with the Spirit. That as I'm sometimes there's things that I'm going through and I don't know how to intercede to the Father in the right way. And I will intercede and maybe I'll say something and the Holy Spirit comes and says, no, Father, this is what really needs to be said. Look at what the Holy Spirit does as the believer is able to keep in step. He he provides for a new way of living. And a lot of believers, eh, they could do without it. They're indifferent to it. It doesn't really matter to them. Um, the other thing that we wanted to see here is that walking by the Spirit produces the fruit from the Spirit. And so notice we saw that in uh, Galatians 5, 2, 22, that one of the parts of the fruit of the Spirit was love. But let's look at an illustration in Colossians 1, 8. And it was seen among those at Colossae. Yeah, but you just, as you look through Scripture, look at, and don't take my word for it, as you read through, look at the identification of what constitutes and, and what identifies a real believer. Do you know one of those things is love. You know why? It can't be duplicated. Uh, and I've told you before, there was a, a commercial when I was growing up called Dre Beckon Hill. It was so effective, I remember the name. And their, their jingle was often imitated, but never duplicated. Do you know people can imitate God's love? They cannot duplicate it. You know why? We've talked about what it is. Love is self-sacrificing. And I don't care how much you try. If you're not dependent upon the Holy Spirit's ability, you're not going to be able to do it. I guarantee you're not going to be able to do it. And so notice the Colossians here, you see, as an example. Paul wrote unto them and um, he, it was a group of people he hadn't met, but he had heard about them. Notice in verse 3, he says, We give thanks to God the Father our Lord, of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. And notice in verse 4, And the love which you have toward all the saints. Why did he say that? Why did he stop and point this out? Why didn't he point out other things? There's a lot of other things he could have said here. He draws a direct bead toward agape love because of the essential nature of it among saints. And so notice he goes on and down and we're going to read down to verse eight. 
for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, wherefore you heard before in the word of truth and the gospels, or the gospel which is coming to you as it is in all the world and bringeth forth fruit as it does also in you since the day you've heard of it and knew the grace of God in truth, as you've heard of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister in Christ, who has declared unto you, uh, unto us, your love, and, and really I would say, uh, uh, from the Spirit, and that the Holy Spirit was the one that causes that. You see, you can't do this on your own. No way. Look, I've tried this. Try loving someone, actually doing agape love. And you know what you'll come to find? It tries your patience. You can do it for a second. But if it's not Holy Spirit driven, you will snap. You will snap. And so notice this is the emphasis. And it only comes as a result of believers who are filled by the Holy Spirit. Let me show you one more example as we close out. Look at Philemon. And that's after Titus. We don't go there a lot. Interesting book, though. And notice what he says about this guy Philemon. I mean, it's just interesting as you look at all of these different illustrations um, uh, throughout the course of Scripture. And so he talks about this, um, this guy, and he writes, I don't know if you know the background, he talks about uh, the fact that here this guy was a slave owner, and he had this guy Onesimus, and um, Onesimus had run away, and, um, and he writes to him, to, to, uh, as he, Paul led him to the Lord, he writes to him to tell him to have the, the uh, right relationship with him. Notice in verse five, uh, 4, I thank my God, making mention of thee always in my prayers. Notice verse 5, hearing of thy love and faith. Oh, what about that building project that you had over there, Philemon? Well, that was a good thing. <clears throat> Why didn't you mention that? Why did he mention some of the other things? You hear what he mentions? Your love and your faith. You see, that's the standard of measurement. Do you know that you have a lot of terrors in this, these churches across this great fruited plain of ours? They can do certain things, but they cannot do this. You know why? Only the Holy Spirit can produce it. And notice what he goes on saying, hearing of thy love and thy faith, which thy have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the unbelievers. No, that's not what he said, but that's what people read into there today. What does he say? Your love toward all the saints. The saints. That the communication of thy faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus, Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in thy love because the bowels of the saints are refreshed by thee, brother. Wherefore, though I might be much bold in Christ to enjoin thee, which is convenient, yet for love's sake, 
I rather beseech thee, being one as such as Paul the aged, and now also the prisoner of Jesus Christ, I beseech thee for my son, thy son Onesimus. And so this love that Philemon showed, it's all throughout the New Testament. It's the love of the saints. That's the point. That's the point. You know, if you got Christendom today, they're all sidetracked. You got these churches. There's one out there in Portland, outside of Portland, talking about social justice nonsense. What about the love of the saints? What about the love of the saints? Do you know that takes one being spiritual? Only the Holy Spirit's going to produce it. And it's available to every single believer. And it's that, it's that love that brings the church together in such a way and bonds the local church in such a way that the outside world can see those people are different. There's something different about them. And that's what God intended. Father, we're grateful for the opportunity of being able to look at those thing, these things and grateful that as believers that you provided for us all the things that we need to be able to do your will and to accomplish those things that you desire. We're thankful that agape love among the saints is a crucial one. And we're thankful that as we're able to do this, as we're able to be filled by the Spirit and he fills up what's lacking in this area of agape love, that we can actually represent you in the right way that we can show this love one toward another and that we're able to be able to accomplish those things that you desire for the saints. And we're thankful for that potential. In your son's name we pray. Amen.